1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our story in a moment, but first, let's have a little talk. You all know the best way to help our program grow is to tell a friend or family member about us. Let them know where to find us at ohiomysteries.com and also show them how to subscribe on any podcast app. Also, be sure to rate us and leave us a comment. Also, because of Facebook's algorithm, it is a lot harder for our Facebook page to show up on your feeds. Be sure to visit us on Facebook, just search for Ohio Mysteries.com and join in on the conversation. We also have a YouTube channel. Head on over to YouTube, search for Ohio Mysteries, subscribe, like, hit the notify bell. And now it's time to throw another log on the fire campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. And with us as always, is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal.
0: Hi, everybody. Tonight, we're going all the way up to the state's farthest northeast corner, to Ashtabula County. And there, you'll find the tiny village of Rock Creek with a population of maybe 500 people. Despite its size, there was a time this village had its own violent group of thugs, the Rock Creek Gang. Back in the late 60s, they terrorized the town, continually brawling and harassing residents. When the good citizens of Rock Creek didn't think the Ashtabula County Sheriff was doing enough to rein them in, they formed their own police force. But the gang threatened the new police chiefs so bad, two of them quit in fast succession. According to one former police chief, The gang had the entire village under its thumb. When they spoke, the village listened. Robert Hamrick was hoping to change that. Robert, you could call him Bob or Bobby if you knew him, was born to Gilbert and Nina Hamrick in 1940. He served in the United States Army during the Vietnam War, then joined the Rock Creek Police in 1968. He had barely a year of law enforcement experience when he was promoted to the top spot. In July of 1969, his wife Myrtle and their three young children stood next to him at the village hall as he was sworn in as the town's third police chief in six months. Immediately, the gang, buoyed by their success in running the first two chiefs out of office, targeted Robert and his family for harassment, often showing up at their home and annoying them to the point that Robert would sometimes run from the house and hop into his cruiser to pursue them. Now about five months into his office, Robert investigated an abandoned building and found inside a shiny new Corvette. He ran the plates and learned the car had been stolen from Cleveland. Robert had the card dusted for fingerprints, but left it in place. Then he bugged the building to see if he could learn the identity of the thieves. One day, Chief Hamrick and his auxiliary patrolmen hid inside the building and waited for the culprits to arrive. When they opened the door, the officers inside revealed themselves and arrested the lot. But quickly enough, they were out on bail. That's when the threats started coming in by telephone. Robert was usually the one to grab the phone when he was home, but one evening when he was out, his wife picked up. The caller told her to get her husband out of town or he was going to be hurt. One month later, it was the early morning hours of March the 10th, 1970, and the chief was doing a regular patrol of the town streets, when he began pursuit of a speeding car. He called the sheriff's dispatch to let them know he was following the car, that he had just turned off State Route 45 and was headed west on Calendar Road. And then, radio silence. Dispatch waited nearly an hour before asking deputies to go look for the chief, who was no longer answering the radio. It took another four hours for a deputy to find him right where he said he was, on Calendar Road. He was alive but unconscious behind the wheel of his cruiser, which had slid off the icy dirt road and collided with a tree. At first, it looked like a garden variety accident, but there were a few problems with this scene. There was blood covering the back seat. Hamrick's service revolver and his nightstick were both missing. Also, the entire left half of his skull was crushed, and yet no glass was broken on the car. It was also odd that the car's ignition and headlights had been turned off, if he had been conscious long enough to make those decisions, why hadn't he reached for the still-working radio and call for help? Robert was still alive and transported to Ashtabula General and then the Cleveland Clinic for emergency surgery. But he never regained consciousness, and on March the twentieth, 10 days after the accident, he died. He was just 29 years old. In spite of the strange evidence at the scene, county officials officially ruled the chief's death an accident. But family, friends, and fellow officers were convinced he'd been murdered, that he was led down that isolated road, beaten with his own baton, and left for dead. And that meant someone was covering up the truth. After all, how else to explain that the sheriff dispatchers knew he was chasing a speeding car down calendar, and yet took nearly an hour to even begin searching for him. Now six hours after Chief Hamrick was found, the car he had been chasing was found at a local gas station. It was splattered in mud and had a damaged tire. Someone had stolen it. Detectives tracked down the owner, who said she had taken it to that station for repairs the previous day and that the car was perfectly clean when she had dropped it off. In hindsight, she wondered if someone had plans for her car that night because she was surprised the station had asked to keep it. Turns out, one of the station's employees was known to be a member of the Rock Creek gang. In 1992, Unsolved Mysteries did a TV episode on this case and interviewed a woman whose identity they obscured. The woman claimed to have heard several gang members bragging about killing the chief, that they had set up the chase, lured him down the secluded road, and caused him to crash his car. She said they talked about taking him out of the car beating him over the head with his baton, then putting him back in the car to die. She said, they said they'd never get caught, and I knew in my heart they were right. They were above the law. So police did figure out who it was Robert was chasing that night, but they claimed they had simply eluded him and had no idea he'd hit a tree. No one was ever arrested. Thirteen years ago, two men who said they were Robert Hamrick's sons responded to an Internet forum for Unsolved Mysteries. I can't verify their identities, of course, but I'm relatively confident they are who they say they are. The boys said the names of their father's killers was an open secret and that one of the men involved was a nephew to the sheriff. They said Rock Creek might have seemed like a small, quiet, backwoods kind of town, but it was a place where drugs and stolen high-end sports cars were being moved through, which is what gave birth to the gang in the first place. Soon after that show aired, the Rock Creek Police Department was disbanded. One of Robert's sons said even if the incident was nothing more than a car accident, the Ashtabula County Sheriff's Department owed them an answer. He felt they were still guilty of negligence for waiting so long to send their father aid. But he also said that after living with grief for 30 years, he learned to put away the bitterness He ended by saying, if the men responsible for his father's death were reading his words, he would have them know that he found peace through God and had learned to forgive them.
1: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. Also, remember, we are part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Head on over to evergreenpodcast.com to check out more shows just like ours.